Welcome to Reputation Town. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Reputation Town. I think this might be episode 15. I'm not even counting at this point. We've got over a dozen, and I hear the threshold is 20. Once you get to 20, you've beat 90% of podcasts that are out there because they don't make it to that mark. Anyway, this is Warren Weeks, and I'm joined, as always, uh, by my good friend and colleague, John Paranak. And we have a special guest with us today from Western Canada, Grant Ainsley, media trainer extraordinaire. Grant, how are you doing today, and uh, how is life out in Alberta? We're watching the news, and there's a lot of stuff going on out there. Life is shitty, Warren. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, what can I tell you? It's it's Alberta, where we have got a, a government that just has botched up uh, the COVID issue, probably bigger than, uh, than any, well, certainly anywhere else in Canada, and uh, arguably as bad as some, some states in the U.S. So that's, that's, that's what life is like these days out here in Alberta. Sounds like fun. Um, we'll be jumping on a plane and coming to join you anytime soon. John, how's life? Pretty good. Uh, better than Grant. Better than we're not Alberta. <laughs> okay, so uh, we want to say a big thanks to Grant. Obviously, you know you're very busy and uh, extended an invitation to come on the show. And uh, you're our second guest. We had Molly McPherson from uh, the U.S. And that was uh, really, like, when you get three people, there seems to be this, uh, just this energy and this flow. Like, keep your expectations low, everybody. But just, you know, that's what we've seen in the past. <laughs> have a bunch of different especially, topics. Especially about me compared to Molly. So keep those <laughs> expectations really low. He's being modest, everybody. So before we, before we jump into the, the communications-type uh, topics, we typically start out with a little uh, feature we call off-topic banter. So anything that's going on in your life, anything you've seen in the news, anything that's kind of captured your imagination lately. And uh, John, maybe we'll start with you off-topic. Off-topic? Uh, I, I always go back to this stuff. I can't help it, though. I'm like super nerdy when it comes to it. But, you know, a few weeks ago, we talked about uh, the space race, as it were, between billionaires. Well, the actual real cool space thing is happening on September 15th, which is um, SpaceX has sponsored this. Well, it's really one guy paying for it. Um, uh, Jared Isaacman, he's a billionaire, but it's basically four civilians going into space for three days. So they're going to actually get to orbit the earth, do science experiments. And uh, there's a whole Netflix series that is devoted to leading up to the launch of this. So it's, 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 it's kind of exciting. And that this is when you think about science fiction and people actually going into space who aren't, you know, government employees or astronauts or, you know, um, uh, military pilots and the such. this is, this is the first time this is going to happen. And uh, those other billionaires should take a look, uh, a page from the way this is being done in terms of communication standpoint of how to build excitement and interest for, for something that's actually really interesting. Why have we never heard of this guy? He's a pretty low key. Um, I think he was like a, uh, he, the company he founded was like a, I'm going to say it was some sort of a credit card company. It was like in the fi financial payment space, but he's got like uh, people going up who are just total civilians. One person is a hospital employee, cancer survivor, um, I think another one's an artist. It's um, a very eclectic crew of four people who will be in a dragon capsule for three days as they or orbit the earth. And uh, of course it'll all be as Musk, whenever Elon Musk does something, there's a lot of sort of uh, thought to how it's um, the public relations uh, aspect of it. So I, just, I think we'll see a lot of it when it, when it launches and, and as these people take this trip. 
How about uh, Grant? How about yourself? There, there has to be something other than the political climate going on in Alberta that's got you busy these days. Well, not necessarily busy, but I, 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 I really love that video that Steve from Blues Clues uh, dropped on us uh, a couple of days ago. You know what? Uh, Twenty-five years later, he talked about why he's, uh, you know, why he disappeared from the show and uh, did it in the old Blues Clues style. I think um, you know a lot of parents of my vintage with. Uh, you know, with kids our age, they're all growing now, but uh, we spent a lot of lot of time watching Blue's Clues back uh, years ago. And uh, it was just kind of cool that out of nowhere, he just dropped us and came back and kind of in a very neat way explained, uh, explained what happened to him. So I thought that was kind of cool. I didn't see that. What was his, uh, where, where did he go? What was the deal? Yeah, university. Uh, he went off to uh, university and he, uh, you know, I always thought watching him that there was a little bit of subtle humor all the time and some of the things that he would throw in there. Um, and yeah, so we did this cute video that basically talked about, hey, here's why I went away. But it was done in the Blues Clues style of, of you know, sort of the rhymes to be able to, to follow the clues. So I, I, I thought that was kind of cool the other day. Nice. Um, the one I want to bring up is <laughs> this is also kind of nerdy, but in a different way. The Matrix, uh, they made a new Matrix movie. I didn't even know this was happening. The trailer came out today. It's one of my favorite movies of all time, the original. The following two are not you know, not that great, but I'm uh, super pumped. And Keanu Reeves looks as young in this one as he did in the first one. If not, I think he looks better now than he did back then, which is hard to believe. Yeah. I certainly can't say that for myself. Okay, so um, we're going to start the round table now. The first topic that I wanted to, to, to chat about is something that I saw on Twitter. That's where a lot of these things come from, obviously. There was a comedian uh, from the United States who I think her name's Cassidy uh, Kalanick, and she got into a direct message. She allegedly got into a direct message chat with a counselor from the city of Ottawa. And her tweet was, hey, Ottawa City, it sure seems like Councilman Rick Torelli is trying to take me on a vaguely sexual trip to Europe using state funds. And then she has a bunch of screenshots of her conversation with him. And so subsequently, uh, Rick Torelli has uh, and his office have come out and said that his account was hacked. This is something we often hear when something embarrassing comes out from someone. It's, you know, pretty knee jerk to say my account got hacked, but the timing of it and the duration. So there's a lot of questions around that. And there's also some some past uh, transgressions that he has had. So within his office, there have been investigations and it was found uh, there was some incomprehensible or reprehensible um, you know, misconduct and asking staffers to come to work without bras on and, and just inappropriate things and some stuff online that is just really, really, really super not cool. So uh, this woman came out, put those screenshots up. It's out there on Twitter. It's got like 14,000 likes at this point in time and generated some media coverage in Ottawa. And uh, so I guess we need to be careful of saying whether this actually took place or not, because he's saying it didn't. They're saying it did, but it brings up the whole theme of this show, which is reputation. And it brings up to me the whole, you know, the boy who cried wolf story. And so if none of these stories and these investigations, and apparently he's actually, um, his, uh, he's suspended from being paid until November of, of 2021 because of the stuff he's done in the past. So wanted to throw this out on the table and just get um, high level thoughts from each of you in terms of, you know, do you believe this guy? What do you think is going on here? What do you think of the account is hacked um, uh, excuse? And just in, in general, when it comes to politicians or other executives, uh, high profile individuals online, wh- what lessons can we take away from this? Well, John, why don't we start with you? Sure. You know, it's, uh, it's interesting. There's two kind of, two kind of um, approaches politicians use. Some, some manage their 
social media themselves and others have a team, take a team approach. I guess, not, you know, it's not unlike, you know, high, prominent CEOs or others. Obviously in municipal space, you know, uh, counselors are going to tweet. Uh, Shirelli seems to be like one that comes with a lot of baggage. As you point out, uh, I think of the, in, the um, integrity commissioner in Ottawa said when they looked into some of those reports of harassment and things in his office, um, uh, quote, I conclude that Shirelli's conduct is shocking and, is, and an astounding failure to treat the complaints with respect. Um, they were due and required him by the code of conduct. So obviously he's got bigger issues. Um, generally speaking, I'll take it up a level and just talk about to talk about the approach when it, let's just say you do some, do something foolish on social media. I don't know if the, my account got hacked uh, excuse works at all. And I'm not sure if it's worked for a decade. Um, it really goes down to the the level of what are you willing to, are you willing to actually, you know, just limp through a crisis and come out the other end, you know, seeing what you look like, or you do you actually want to treat your reputation seriously? I think the bigger question is what does the city of Ottawa do? How does the city look at this and say, we got a guy who is obviously not really comporting himself in the way that we all expect counselors to. And what is, what do we, what, what should we be doing to protect our reputation as a city when you've got somebody on council who's, who's conducting themselves like this? I don't know. From, from a city standpoint, I think there's probably a duty to take, to do something here. I'm not sure exactly what it is because I don't know enough about what they've done already or what they plan to do, but that's where my mind will be going. There's a really interesting quote in one of the media articles from his um, communications uh, staff. And this is basically, (laughs) they have have a couple, they said his account was hacked, number one. And then they have a couple other excuses that I'd like to get your opinions on, both of you, just in, in terms of like the structure and the strategy of responding to a crisis. One of them was, quote, we have determined that the writing pattern and poor grammar to be inconsistent with that of the counselors, said Chantel LaBelle. Torelli's director of strategic affairs and communications. Now I went through the, all the screenshots, the grammar and punctuation is impeccable. He's using punctuation marks. He's using commas. He's he's, like, he's, it's actually pretty good. It's better than most individuals. So I thought I found that kind of odd. I think she's saying it's probably better than what he normally (laughs) would do. So it couldn't be him. (laughs) That could be the case. And here's the kicker. Uh, So again, quote, Counselor Trelli has not traveled since undergoing a quadruple bypass open heart surgery in December of 2019, nor does he have any plans to travel in the near future with the recent passing of his father-in-law, his daughter's upcoming wedding in a few weeks, and the birth of his first grandchild later this fall. That got my spider sense going a little bit. And I'd like to, and again, I'm giving you guys, guys this stuff in real time, but I'd like to get your take as communications veterans on the inclusion of those items. It seems to me that uh, when you start to dig out some of those things, uh, you're, you're really reaching. And, you know, as far as the, the defense of my account was hacked, uh, you better need to prove without a shadow of a doubt that your account was hacked. Like you need to come back within a week and just go, uh, you know, it's been investigated. Here's all the evidence to show that my account was indeed hacked. And if you can't do that, then, you know, it's just time to check out because it's because it's it's all BS. It's it's clearly BS. But that's that's an, I didn't heard about that, uh, Warren. That's an interesting point. But typically when you get into those many details, there's uh, there's some red flags out there for for whatever reason not sure what you think john but i i uh, yeah what do you think of the human shield defense there warren i'm, yeah. I'm gonna use my daughter and <laughs> uh, his family members or, in front of her grandchild cat 
<laughs> the human shield defense. I love that. Is that a thing or do you just make that up? I just made that up. That's genius. That's yeah. that's great. But that that was the one that was a little I, I'm like, you know, maybe he was hacked. Maybe he wasn't. He has these past issues, maybe. But, you know, given the benefit of the doubt, innocent until proven guilty. And then you just see this other woman comes out and another one. So there's this thread of all these women attaching the screenshots. And it, you know, some of the stuff he's including in there, if you're not familiar with the story, I encourage you to uh, to check it out. But some of the things he's including in there, he uh, he had messages saying that his staffers didn't want to travel anywhere where topless sunbathing would occur. And so he was wondering if she would be able to do that. And quote, I want fun, not just work. And so he didn't come out and overtly say what he was getting at. He kind of implied. And and the problem with, well, one of, one of the many problems with this is he was saying that he was going to cover her airfare, cover her hotel, allegedly, if it was him, cover her meals, cover her drinks. And in addition to that, pay her a fee for, you know, communications or media services rendered. And that he was going to pay for this out of pocket and get it paid through his expenses at work. And so ultimately you would have the taxpayers of Ottawa paying for this. And so some people have said this is rival politicians trying to knock him down, but there are a lot of people who used to work in his office who've been in that thread saying, thank you for exposing this guy. Um, any other thoughts on this before we, before we move along? I, I think after it's all done after this, when we probably need a shower or something like that, <laughs> just to uh, get ready for the next topic. All right. So next up is uh, the CEO of Delta airlines. Obviously, everyone knows that, you know, we're in the middle of this fourth wave and the the Delta variant is the name of the new uh, extremely contagious uh, virus that's traveling around now. In fact, the Delta variant has accounted for, I think, 93 percent of new cases in the U.S. And that was at the end of July. So the stats a little bit out of date, but it's just you know pervasive. Anyway, in a lot of communications lately, the, the CEO of Delta has refused to use the actual name Delta, and he's calling it by its formal name, B16172 variant, which just you know rolls off the tongue. And so there's been a, a bunch of interviews that he's done and staff communications, and they're going out of their way to to not mention this. It's kind of like you know the word Voldemort in, in Harry Potter, like you're trying trying not to say it. So he's called it um, the most recent virus variant the variant, that darn variant, and of course, B16172. And so this has actually led to a significant amount of media coverage around the fact that he has uh, doesn't want to actually have the name of his airline associated with this thing that's so pervasive. And so the question is, is this a, is this a good move or would he have been better off just avoiding this because you, you have this avalanche of media coverage afterward? Uh, Grant, what are your thoughts? I'm, I'm not really sure about this one. Um, I mean, it really doesn't matter. I mean, if, 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 if the top guy at Delta won't use the, the, the word Delta, uh, like, you know, it's interesting, but it's not going to move the needle at all. Um, because everybody else is, I mean, you just used it 10 times and in, in talking about the story. <laughs> so right. it's, it's, it's not going to move the needle. I guess it shows a certain level of discipline, but nobody's going to change. Uh, I thought of this right away when they gave the names, uh, the A, B, C, and the D was the Delta. Uh, I thought about that right away. And it took me back to when coronavirus yeah. first came out and Corona beer uh, got, uh, and actually I think did some some positive stuff in, in sort of relating Corona to coronavirus. And for some brands, you can do that, and others, it's it's just something that you have to avoid totally. So, I, like I say, I don't think it's going to move the needle at all. Uh, I I don't I don't know if there's any great purpose uh, of this, but um, you know, I, I guess we'll I guess we'll see what happens. I think I think it's bigger issue is is the number of people flying on the airline compared to a couple or three years ago. 
so I guess what you're saying is the Omega watch company should have a communications plan in place for uh, if, we, if we get that far down the alphabet. One of the other things that I wanted to, to bring up around this one, there's a there's a, a story in I think it was the Washington Post. And here is um, a little section from that story. Communications pros were quick to praise Delta's marketing teams for the approach. Chris McCullough, associate professor of public relations and head of the Department of Communications at Jacksonville State University in Alabama, said in an email that Bastion's message worked on two levels. And here's a quote. First, it's clear that the communication team wants to emphasize the distinction of the company from the current health crisis, he said. Second, they're implicitly conveying to those employees and consumers alike that they are taking the situation seriously, including how they distinguish their company name from the current variant. So you have a public relations professor saying that he thinks it's a good move. And, um, and, and ultimately, you know, again, as Grant said, there are larger issues taking place right now. I don't, you know, I, I, I don't personally really like that they chose this as their, their hill to die on. And just because it did create so much media coverage and it's just, it's just so obvious. Uh, you're calling actually, I think, more attention to it. Um, John, what are your, what are your thoughts on this? So when I read this, I thought, man, they're going through a lot of hoops to try and, you know, sort of avoid branding the coronavirus as their as their company. Um, I don't know. I, I think I think I'm not sure they need to go through those extent, to that extent. I think people are smart enough to figure out that, you know, um, the airline has nothing to do with the virus. And uh, they, they still, frankly, own the virus to a degree because everyone who flies on an airplane knows they're trapped in a tube uh, with a bunch of other people in close quarters. So like, this, uh, I don't know, it's a lot of hand-wringing and pearl clutching over, over not much. But, you know, what? if they want to do it that way, that uh, that's fine. Like, you know, it, it makes sense. The only thing I'd say is that if you, whenever you have to go to those extreme lengths to really, like, over-explain things or you know, get into so much technical detail, it just goes over people's heads. And um, I'm not sure it actually sticks with people. So I'm not, I'm not even sure it's it's terribly effective. And, you know, no disrespect to the PR professor, I I just think people, when they, when they hear stuff like this in the news, it, it they really only internalize a fraction of it. And it's, it's at the level of, you know, uh, more like gut feelings and, you know, t- do I believe that person and, and that sort of thing? So n- no harm in trying, but I'm not sure how effective it is either. The professor that commended them, like I, I I'm with, I'm with you, John. I'm kind of like, what, whatever. Okay. If you're going to do that, fine. But I don't know for a professor to like sort of applaud them thinking that this is great. I'm, I, I have a huff, t- really tough time seeing that. Uh, I think any time that, that somebody uh, will not use a particular word, um, it, it almost was like a sitcom where somebody's not able to say a certain word like quit or, 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 or something like that. And it's like, yeah. you're trying to drag that word out of them. And they, uh, so uh, to me, it's silly. It's just silly. Okay. If, if either of you are the head of communications for Delta and you have the ability to make this choice, are we going to avoid saying the name or are we just going to say it? What do you do? I would just jump in and say it. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't play games. I would say it. I wouldn't over say it. Um, I would. I would have a strategy ready for when the question comes. Uh, so, what do you think, Mr. CEO, about uh, this virus being named Delta? Has it affected your business? Will it affect your business? What do you think about it? Those sorts of things, I think, are more important than not using the word. John, you know, what? I just call the name, but the health public health officials are using, and I talk about what the company is doing to help make this a better experience for people, and focus on that, and not worry so much about dancing around something that really isn't relevant. 
All right. <clears throat> so the next one that we have on the on the docket today, and uh, we're going to head out to to uh, Western Canada right now. This one is from from Alberta. There was a press conference uh, last week, I believe, and uh, a reporter from CTV is trying to ask a question of the culture minister, Ron Orr, about the absence of Alberta's leadership uh, over the past couple of weeks. And this is something we're going to get into a little bit further and love to get Grant's thoughts on this. Um, but as it's going on, because uh, they're, they're at an event, basically, it's um, promoting Alberta culture days. And so, and you see the, the sort of the, the wallpaper and there's a tractor in the background and the minister is kind of up there and he gets a question from a journalist and I will, I'll just play the, the clip. It's less than a minute long. And so what you're looking at, if you can't see it, the minister's standing in the middle of the screen. He's got a suit jacket on. He's, um, I don't know, uh, I'd say like 50, late 50-ish sort of uh, looking individual, a white siding building in the background, his, uh, his, his uh, sort of media relations wallpaper and a tractor, and there's a CTV microphone in front of him, and here is how that goes. You know, since I do have you here, there's a few questions that I'd just like to ask about. Um, you know, we haven't heard from the Premier in about two weeks, and there's it's been It's about that, culture days. Yeah, but the, the, we yeah. have, we need some sort of answers, just a couple of questions. It's, uh, we're all, we're finished. No, we just no, need we're a couple finished. Of, Thanks, Nav, so much. We're finished. No, but I no, think it'd Nav, be fair it's to ask days. the Minister some questions. What's the question? I just... Why do you think the uh, provincial government does not felt the need to uh, have these press conferences? A lot of people are feeling anxiety, and you know I think they want some answers. Now we're good. Thank you so much. We're all set, Minister. Okay. I, I think it's, now it's a we're simple all set. question. Now we said it was about culture days. Yeah. Well, thank it you is. so much. It all ties in. We're all good. Thank you. Okay, and so what you can see at home is that the press secretary actually comes into the shot and is looking at the reporter and giving him, I would say it's a sort of a condescending look and you can hear it kind of like, yeah, yeah, we're all, we're all done, we're all wrapped up. Uh, okay, I'd love to get, Grant, why don't we start with you? This is in your homeland, this is in the province of Alberta, and I know you've done some media interviews on this. What do you think when you see something like this take place? I think a bunch of things. Uh, uh, I mean, the press secretary was sort of crucified in the media over this. And um, hey, at least we sh- she was polite, you know, um, <laughs> uh, but she was crucified in the media over this. And, uh, you know, I've I've been in that position and I don't know that she was the one making the call. And so I don't want to crucify her for doing it because she could have had people above her saying, no, if there's any questions uh, about uh, anything other than, you know, about the, the, the big the elephant in the table, uh, then uh, we're just going to shut it down. You have to shut it down. So she might have been acting on on uh, directions from people above. I think, um, you know, we all know people who are, uh, you know, wearing suits and they're in big offices and they understand diddly squat about communications. And so then they get the press secretary and communications person to do the dirty work. So um, when a situation like this occurs and there is a big other story, and the big other story here was that we had a premier on holidays. We had a health minister who hadn't been seen in the media for weeks. Uh, we had a chief medical officer of health who likewise had not been in the media, even though she was in the media almost every day for, mm. for a year and a half, almost during COVID. Um, And then, of course, as the COVID numbers are skyrocketing in Alberta, they're all disappearing. And and they 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 just, you know, quite frankly, they had nothing to say. There is no plan. There was no change. There was no decision. It was they they just they just sat there and watched the numbers go up and they just had nothing good to say. And they didn't want to get in front of the media because 
they're in a situation now of trying to defend all the bad decisions that they made that resulted in this, this huge increase in COVID in Alberta over the past couple of months. So you have to understand that the media is going to probably, there's going to be somebody there, at least one reporter that isn't going to honor the, hey, it's about culture days, which by the way, I think was a pretty good newser because I didn't even know we had culture days in Alberta. So, and I've lived here all my life. Um, so, you know, uh, you have to have a strategy and you basically say, look, Mr. Minister, there could be a question coming about COVID and why the premier has been away and hasn't done anything. Here's our response. If you get a question like that, let's practice a couple of times. And, and that's, you know, and then it goes away and it's not a big story. And, and that that became the story rather than culture days, rather than anything else. And so, it, again, it's a matter of preparation. Um, and, you know, and if the guy couldn't handle a couple of simple questions like that, then he shouldn't be a cabinet minister. That's right. That's another point we didn't mention. If you're not from Alberta, this guy's an actual cabinet minister, which is one of the highest levels of government. And, and he's standing there just like a mannequin. Like, I thought it was a photo at first. And then you see him kind of like moving a little bit at the end and not answering the question. And you know, you have these politicians who who run for these these positions, and then then it's a valid question. I, I would say that culture days might be important, but this is a really important topic right now, and so this speaks to a trend that we're seeing a lot more of, and that we're going to get into as well, of or sorry, um, journalists asking questions and politicians just blowing them off to a degree that I don't think I've ever seen before. There's always been message control and the process and the blocking and the bridging and all that stuff, but. Never have I seen politicians just blatantly, flagrantly ignoring questions and kind of managing and, and, and stopping press conferences like this and, and, and walking out. Why do you think that is taking place? And first of all, do you think it's my imagination that that's happening more now? Maybe it's just social media. And if so, why do you think that's happening more today than it was 10, 20, 15, 20 years ago? Well, two things. I think this is a bit of a trend. If you remember back to the, to the Harper years, uh, the guy who was head of head of comms then had a had a thing where he'd like keep the media back like fifty yards or something behind oh, this, velvet this rope, rope yeah velvet ropes and and the media sort of you know sheepishly herded themselves behind those things and uh, but, you know at the end of the day from a, from a political communication standpoint is doing all these things like shutting down a news conference like that corralling the media at a distance does that materially like improve the, the degree to which you get your message out? I don't know what it does. Like, I can't say that I've, I look at the news and say, Oh gosh, yes, it's the government's got a much better communications pipeline to the people it needs to reach as a result of all that. Uh, I think what it does is it just creates all this side story um, that admittedly general people will never see because no one is really interested in this other than the media and, you know, observers like ourselves. But um, I, I, to what end? I'm not sure that this is actually producing any useful results. I think th- one of the reasons why we do see it, though, is because the media as a as a conduit for political communications is, well, it's still important. It's less important than it used to be. And so I think a lot of strategists think, OK, well, we don't need to rely on them as much so we can push back a little bit more. We can try and, you know, put some put some barriers around them and and try and you know eliminate some of the things that we don't like about dealing with media uh, i think in this case that minister probably would have been better served just to be better prepared to answer more than the questions about culture day or whatever it was versus having a staffer throw themselves in front of the media and make a spectacle like this 
<laughs> like throwing themselves in front of the train. Uh, by the way, uh, gentlemen, he's not only a uh, culture minister, he's also the minister responsible for the status of women, mm. uh, which, which is a really weird fit, I, I know. Um, but the uh, former minister who was a woman was critical of uh, the premier uh, for um, dining uh, on the um, patio of the Sky Palace back in the spring when he shouldn't have, and she lost her cabinet position for that. And uh, it was given to Mr. Orr. So he's not just one, but two, uh, two cabinets. Um, you know, I, I, John, I, I agree with you. I, I don't know necessarily why it's happening in terms of politicians not answering the questions. But, uh, Warren, I, I believe I agree with you that it is happening much more than it used to. We saw it during the U.S. election campaign, during some of the debates. Uh, and we're seeing it. We're seeing it now. And, and we saw it all through COVID where. You know, Trudeau would be asked questions and he would just talk about something else. And and, and I don't understand this, quite frankly. Um, you know, we've seen it during the election campaign where, you know, there's questions that come up about gun control. And the answer is about COVID and questions about abortion. And the answer is is about, well, people need to get vaccinated. It's 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 beyond my approach of understanding the benefit of that from a politician um, that has a chance to answer a question and answer it in a proper way that would advance himself and his party and instead decides to answer a totally different question. I, I just don't see the benefit of it myself. I have a hypothesis though, and that is that the media is fundamentally broken in that they are, they, they do not exert enough um, judgment in terms of, are we just going to let that stuff flowed over our platforms, right? And they, they think about it in terms of, oh, well, I'm going to, you know, show what the politician said and then provide context about what they didn't answer. And what, while they're doing is they're just giving the platform for the politician to say whatever they wanted to say. To your point, Grant, that is what you saw in the, you know, in the United States from the 2016 election cycle forward, right? Uh, you just just basically ignoring whatever the questions were and just using the platform the journalists were providing to just repeat the stuff that was being said. And I think, I think until journalists figure out how to deal with um, uh, the sort of new environment we're in and, and adjust the way that news news, the news system works, it's just going to continue like this. I don't know what you think, Warren. Well, you're probably right. Uh, sorry, I'll, I'll just jump in with one quick thought. Um, I, I think one of the things that the you know the typical media scrum setup uh, really works towards this because you've got you know a pack of thirty journalists ready to answer a- ask you know twenty different questions, and you know somebody asks the question and you know one of the leaders gives a totally bogus answer that doesn't relate to the question, and then it's on to you know reporter number two and reporter number three and four. Um, I, I would prefer, I would, I would love to see reporters get together and just, you know, uh, wait a minute, you haven't answered reporter number one's question. Uh, could you please answer that? And, and almost, you know, go down the line before some of these questions, if there is one big question that needs to be answered. Uh, I agree with you, John, it's, it's not happening. I wish it would happen. Uh, we've seen it from time to time where, where reporters will re-ask a question that somebody just asked and didn't get an answer for, but I, I'm with you. I'd love to see it happen much more. I call it 1987 media training where this, this actually did work uh, to a degree a couple decades ago or more than a couple, but um, is part of it, you know, John, you talked about the media being broken is part of it. Also the, just the erosion of journalism that there's less reporters. And if you look at um, 
you know, I used to see some of the lists of journalists who had lost their jobs. There'd be a wave of layoffs at these organizations, 60, 70 people that are just gone. And you don't necessarily notice that their names are missing. You know, when you pick up the paper, you go to the website on a daily basis, you don't notice the absence of them. But if you saw that list of names, you'd be like, oh, I know that one. I know this one. So much experience and so much these seasoned journalists are just off the table. And so what you end up having is a lot of really young people, maybe not that much experience, concerned about losing their job. And maybe they don't want to rock the boat and they don't want to have complaints. Like is part of it that just journalism as a foundational structure has been eroded over the last couple of decades and they just don't have the horses? You know, that's, that, that is a great point. And I'm sure that has a lot to do with it as well. I used to work in a newsroom uh, ourselves, and our sister station had 17 people when I was a news director of the FM station. And um, recently, they were down to three, three people, all on AM. And uh, I'm not even sure if there's three people there today. But, uh, you know, we used to we used to have a good newsroom in the 80s. We used to compete against the AM stations. And, and so, yeah, that's a great, great example of what happened, 17 down to three. And it's just rip and read journalism. And it's, you know, it's basically headlines. I remember I remember a time when and this is, again, a couple decades ago where <clears throat> certain organizations, these are private companies, but. Um, there would be, and I'm not going to talk about any of the specific companies, but something would take place. It would be sort of a crisis situation where some people had been injured or there's a, a sort of precarious situation. And the the journalists were trying to get a hold of a certain CEO and they weren't responding to the journalists. And so what they ended up doing is they would track the person down. And so in this case, there's a CEO who is at the gym on a treadmill and a news crew shows up with a camera beside the treadmill and hey, hey, we have some questions for you holding him to account. Is it, you know, I would love to, to, to have uh, the opportunity. And, and I've talked about this on Twitter a couple of times in the past. Like I would love for, for us, for example, as media trainers who are always on the, the other side of the equation to be able to go into one of these debates and to be able to ask some questions and, you know, act as journalists for the day. You know, we do thousands of interviews over the course of our career, and they're all difficult ones, and we're all pushing on those individuals. I would love to have an opportunity to be that journalist. And, you know, I don't have um, an editor at, you know, the Globe and Mail or the Toronto Star or CBC to to report to. It would be great to have that freedom to be able to ask those questions and to hold those people to account. And I think that part of it is, you know, they, 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 they blow off the journalists, they have the little velvet ropes, they get back on their bus or wherever they go. And then they assume that it's over. And because it is, they're not, they're not concerned about the reporter knocking on their door or, or going up to them in church or in the grocery store anymore. And I don't know why that is not happening. I'm not saying that that's, that's a really great approach, but I think someone needs to kind of hold their feet to the fire a little bit more. And I'm kind of sad to see what's going on with journalism today. And I know I don't really have, um, you know, um, skin in the game as a, as a working journalist, but I, you know, I was at one point, I think, you know, Grant, you worked as a journalist. I would really like to make it more uncomfortable for these individuals to blow off these questions. Do you, do you see that happening at any point or is that, is, are we just dreaming here? I think we're dreaming. Uh, I'm I'm with you, Warren. I can't tell you the number of times over the last 18 months that I've been watching a COVID update and I'm like, ask this question. Yeah. Why are you not asking this? Um, and uh, I mean, it gets, gets, gets frustrating. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm seeing, I'm seeing people like ask reporters over Twitter, please ask this question. Um, it's, it's almost like the media is becoming the voice of the people rather than reporting the news on, on, in, in some ways. 
I don't think it's going to change. I just think the numbers, um, the numbers game is really not working um, in favor of this, but there was something really neat that happened and I'll, I'll, I'll let John jump in, but um, because of the fact here in Alberta, we weren't getting COVID updates, a group of doctors started doing their own COVID updates. Genius. And so they took the numbers and they basically did something over YouTube and they got, you know, six people together over zoom or whatever it was, six or eight. And they're like, okay, here's the numbers. What do we think about them today? Well, let's interpret the numbers. And they, they explained it. And it was, it was just this citizen medical community thing that just sprung up uh, out of nowhere seemingly. And, and they continue, <clears throat> excuse me, continue to do the updates every, every three days, which is, which is really interesting. That's brilliant. So they saw a vacuum and they jumped in and filled it. That's great. Yeah. Because there was no more updates from, from the government. I also believe, and this is my personal opinion, I'd be interested in, in what you folks think as well. But when I watch, you know, I, I think the, the, the typical member of the public when it comes to the media is more sophisticated today than they have been at any point in history. And I think when they see a politician doing this, you know, blowing off the questions or just kind of bridging to something else that they like or answering the question that you wish you were asked instead of the one you were actually asked, I think it ends up making them look like weasels. And I think it actually it backfires on them in that people uh, like I, I, I'm kind of hungering for a politician who just kind of says it like it is, you know, not to the extent of a Donald Trump, but like just answer the question. I think of, you know, when I think of someone that I'd like to see the model of, it's the, the New Zealand prime minister, Jacinda Ardern. When I think of her, there's not much bad that I can say about that individual. She's calm in a crisis. She demonstrates empathy. She answers the tough questions. In terms of media relations and communications and engagement with the public and, and journalism, she has nailed it. I'd like to see more of that in Canada. I would too, uh, but uh, but I don't think it's going to happen as for the reasons that uh, that we discussed. Um, I'd like to see more Ted Lasso type interviews. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> I think those would be really interesting. I haven't watched that yet. You haven't? No, everyone's uh, saying you got to watch it. I'm a late bloomer myself, uh, but it is just a wonderful, wonderful show. It's one of the best things that I've seen on streaming TV in the last three, four years. Well, really? since streaming TV came in. Yeah, well, I absolutely. may start. I may start tonight. I was I've been watching the uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but the September 11th documentary, the six part or five or six part thing on Netflix it's called Turning mm-hmm. Point. Really just disturbing, like very, very well done. But just like, oh, you just remember all those emotions and just such a terrible period. So uh, I've, I'm three episodes into that, but I was like, I got to lighten it up a little bit. So maybe Ted Lasso is the thing to do. That would be a perfect uh, alternative to, uh, to that. I, I've been thinking about watching that 9-11, but you know, I just don't really want to go back and, and relive that uh, yeah, from 20 years ago. Bring up a lot. Okay. So the next one that I'd like to bring up is um, Rebel News. And so anyone who is outside Canada might not be familiar with this organization, but this is um, a right wing, um, think of like, I don't know, what would be its counterpart in the States? Grant, what do you think would be analogous with rebel news in the U S? Uh, it's kind of like a right wing fly by night Fox. Um, I hate to make the comparison to Fox news, yeah. but I think that's probably something that people would, uh, would latch on to, but it's more of a smaller, much smaller fly by night version of uh, yeah, OAN, uh, that one American news network in the U S yeah. it's, it's kind yeah, of like a good one. Okay, so um, Rebel News is is out there. It's a media organization. They're kind of doing, and it's also an adv- advocacy organization as well. Anyway, we have a federal election going on right now in Canada, <clears throat> and the debates are taking place on a, on a fairly regular basis. 
And there is a commission that said that Rebel News had violated its conflict of interest rules because it's actually involved in campaigns related to the stories that it covers. And so the um, the head of this commission is former Governor General David Johnston. Shout out to David, David Johnston, also a Sault Ste. Marie native. He said that Rebel News is fundraising campaigns and so they're raising money for things like opposing policies, uh, including, you know, a COVID-19 vaccine passports, a federal bill to amend the Broadcast Act, federal government's quarantine hotel uh, situation. And so they they are not only covering a lot of these stories, and they're also raising funds and sort of being sort of uh, advocates. And so that's seen as a conflict of interest. And so they were denied from covering the debates. They uh, made a legal challenge and at the last minute, they were given accreditation. I think 11 journalists were, I'll use the word journalists in quotation marks, were allowed to go in. And so they get the opportunity to actually, you know, to attend and ask some questions. And instead of a- asking a question related to the, the government or platforms or policy decisions, they use it to ask about why they were not allowed to, to ask questions. And so here is um, a question from a Rebel News reporter to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. The only reason that I'm allowed to ask you this question is because today the federal court ruled that the government doesn't have the right to determine who is or is not a journalist. This is the second election in a row that the court had to overturn your government. Do you still insist on being able to make that decision and why? First of all, questions around accreditation were handled by the press gallery and the consortium of uh, networks who have uh, strong perspectives on quality journalism and the important information that is shared with Canadians. Uh, The reality is organizations organizations like yours uh, that continue to spread misinformation and disinformation on the science around vaccines, around how we're going to actually get through this pandemic and be there for each other and keep our kids safe is part of why we're seeing such um, unfortunate uh, anger and lack of understanding of basic science. And quite frankly, your, I won't call it a media organization, your group of uh, individuals Uh, need to take accountability for uh, some of the polarization that we're seeing in this country. And I think Canadians uh, are cluing into the fact that uh, there is a really important decision we take about the kind of country we want to see. And I salute all extraordinary, hardworking journalists that put science and facts at the heart of what they do and ask me tough questions every day, uh, but make sure that they are educating and informing Canadians from a broad range of perspectives, which is the last thing that you guys do. What a burn. Okay. Uh, Thoughts about that. And keep in mind, these are politicians who are not answering the actual questions from the normal journalists, but this is what happens when they get asked questions by Rebel News. So we'll go to you first, Grant. Well, I mean, it was an absolute mic drop. It probably was the best thing that Justin Trudeau has said since um, 2015 uh, when he was asked why there are as many women as men in his federal cabinet. And he said, because it's 2015 mm-hmm. and uh, much longer, obviously. But, um, you know, I mean, he just he just stuffed them into a locker and and and, and sort of wiped his hands and walked away. It was brilliant. And, you know, um, I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like they sucked their chin out there and they just they just got it hammered. So, uh, you know, the bigger question of 
of of rebel media and accreditation. Uh, I you know I understand all these things, and I I, I you know I would. Uh, I just think we have to be cautious sometimes. I think back to, you know, my friends that run uh, Blacklock's Reporter and how they had to get accreditation and fought to get accreditation um, in Ottawa to be part of the Parliamentary Press Gallery uh, because they were different. Uh, they weren't from mainstream media. They sold digital subscriptions. And and today, Blacklock's reporter does some of the best reporting in this country. And so I just think we have to be a little careful about those things. Um, and of course, the reason that all the stuff has come up with uh, with rebel media is because of, you know, all the crap that's happening on the campaign trail because of all the, the issues related to vaccinations and misinformation. Trudeau's correct about that. Um, I think in a funny way, um, you know, some of the stuff that is happening on the campaign trail with the protesters and the rock throwing, it, it's actually helping Trudeau. Um, I, I think, you know, 85% of the population is, is, you know, looks at that and they go, I, I, boy, I got a lot of sympathy for, the, for, for Justin Trudeau when he has to face this crap on the trail. So, um, yeah, those are my thoughts. I don't know if any of it makes sense, but um, um, I, that's, that's kind of the way I think about it. Paranak. So Rebel News, obviously this is not the ideal uh, media outlet to have a, have a debate about who should be in and who should be out. But I think there's, there, there is a value in having some of these other voices in these, in these kind of debates and contexts. And the reason I think that is because, frankly, because they are distasteful and because they have opinions that probably, are, probably uh, will be rid of them further faster if they get more uh, air, um, sunlight. Um, I'm not saying we should be rid of them entirely because obviously I think there should be a diversity of voices, but the the way they run these debates is pretty antiquated. They've got, you know, these commissions that choose what candidates get in, what media gets in, and they probably should start airing on the side of um, inclusion. You know, I look at the, just from the political side of it, the is, is distasteful as the people's party can be. Uh, now, one of the most recent polls are almost pushing 10% in the polls. And when you're at that level, I think actually it's better for Canada and better for dialogue. If they actually get more um, daylight and people are exposed to actually that they have some policies that most people wouldn't agree with by the same token as for journalists, I think you should let some of these, um, you know, small internet based or other types of media let's in um, give them, give them an opportunity to ask their question. Because I think sunlight is good on these sorts of things. What do you think, Warren? It's an interesting. It's an interesting question. You know, I was I went to their website today for the first time, and I was checking it out. What you know, um, I want to have some sort of a informed opinion about what are they actually covering. And first of all, it looks like everything looks like an American flag. Everything is red, white, and blue. And there's a third of the page banner ad for the People's Party. And so I'm like, okay, right out of the gate, I got a flavor of this big story about guns. I think that was one of their big features. And, and again, nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of, uh, especially in Alberta, a lot of uh, legal gun-toting Canadians. But it just, there's, they're just obviously catering. And from, I think from a business decision, it's, it's a probably a very profitable um, way to operate a business. But the, um, what I didn't know about was the conflict of interest stuff. You know, are you a journalism outfit or, or are you not? And if you look at the top of their page, their links are, um, you know, shop, merchandise, donate, get involved. 
you know, you don't see those on a traditional media site. You know, the, the Toronto Star is not asking you to um, to fund campaigns with political purposes. So that that does make it a little bit dicey. But then on the other hand, um, you know, it brings up topics of potential censorship and freedom of speech and should they be there. So, you know, I don't you know, I don't know what you know, I can kind of make an argument either way. But uh, it was it was interesting. You know, we heard the quote from Justin Trudeau, the prime minister. If you can't see it, he looked pissed. He had this look in his eyes where he's just and I think this goes back to him getting those rocks thrown at him at the bus the other day. You could just see there was something in his eyes of just like that. And he kept his cool, but just that moment of anger. And, you know, on a side note, I don't know what happened to the person who did that. I don't I, I believe I don't think they got charged. I don't think anything happened to them. And I find that curious. And is that the precedent that, you know, if that happened in the United States, that person would be either in jail or dead. <laughs> you know, you throw you throw rocks at the president of the United States and hit him in the head. You're going to be they're going to you're going to have a team of Secret Service people and SEAL Team 6 on your on your ass quickly. And so um, I just I wonder if we have, are kind of losing our way with this whole political correctness and wokeness and everyone has an opinion and every Karen can grab a handful of rocks and throw them at a political leader. Like that is just super, super, super uncool. Yeah, it obviously shouldn't happen. I think one of the things that that is happening is because it's a political campaign and he is not, he is the prime minister, but he's not the prime minister as, as such that uh, some of the, some of the security regulations and, and provisions change. Uh, I'm with you, Warren. I mean, whoever did that should have been should have been arrested immediately. Um, I, I would even go farther, and some of the other people would be, you know, if if they're not staying behind the lines, uh, I'd be arresting them too. But you know, that's uh, that's just me. Uh, I, I'm I'm worried something serious is going to happen uh, between now and the election, and and that's that's my concern. I can't help but wonder if if social media is to blame for a lot of this. Like I, I love social media. I have a, you know, grant. That's how, how, how I met you. And there's a lot of really great people on there and really amazing little communities, but there's so much toxicity and poison. And I can't help but wonder when you see, you know, back in the day and I, you know, I don't want to date myself here, but you know, you'd be watching the news. You'd see Dan rather, Peter Jennings, Peter Mansbridge, Barbara from, you'd see these individuals who everyone got the news from basically the same small group of people who they didn't have opinions. They were just telling you the facts or the facts that, that they were laid out the way they are. And today everyone has an opinion and everyone has a mini talk show. And there's all these different angles that we're, we're getting thrust at us. And I can't help but wonder if, Every person who shows up to these events to to uh, to protest, what are they getting on their phone? You know, when they like, I'm sure that their Facebook feed looks a lot different than than yours or mine. And if that's the news that you're getting every day, and it's just being pounded and pounded in because they can target the stuff with amazing precision, um, maybe it's no question or it's no doubt that they're 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 having these sorts of reactions because the reality, like the the reality they're living in, is quite different than ours because. And I think, you know, you've seen Obama was, I think, the first president to be able to use social media in a really powerful way to communicate with people and engage with them. And then you saw Donald Trump, I believe, take that and turn it into a kind of a darker area. And um, the ability for, for people to do that, if you've got a visa card and you've got some some funds to be able to do that is, is, is crazy. So how much of this is being fueled by the sort of dark forces of social media? I think there's an element to it. Um, I think right now though, there's just, there is a, an underlying just tension among people, especially after 18 months of pandemic. Um, People are kind of tired of each other and they're tired of being in lockdown. They're tired of all these things. And I think this is just 
view that populism works. And if you run a populist campaign, you're going to get people to respond to you. And this is, this is the time we're in right now. It's, it's a time of like probably a lot more people than, than we care to imagine. Um, you know, the United States is retrenching back and is becoming less of a world power and more of one that's concerned about things at home. And, and this is very different than the world we experienced, you know, coming out of the, out of the eighties and nineties when, you know, it was the Soviet union falling and it was all like, you know, happy days and, you know, uh, huge economic growth. And now we're into a, a new phase of, uh, of the world. And I think people are reacting that way. And I, this is, this is you see a lot of politicians taking advantage of it. I think social media is, uh, is certainly is, is a big factor, Warren. Uh, but I have a different theory. I I believe the days that you're talking about of of Rather and Peter Mansbridge and and, and others um, several years ago. Mansbridge obviously wasn't that long ago. Everybody had money. Uh, there was enough money going around for CTV, CBC, all the American networks. Um, everybody had money because advertisers were coming to their door and they wanted to advertise, uh, on their newscast. And as money started drying up and, and, you know, digital media started taking over, uh, all of a sudden things weren't quite as cool anymore. And we saw the emergence of Fox news in the States and, and it started the opinion craze of, and, and a big reason for that was trying to get dollars, trying to get eyeballs and trying to get dollars. Uh, CNN was then forced to play the other side. And CNN has become extremely opinionated over uh, over the last few years. Um, you know, look at post media here in Canada. They don't have the advertising dollars coming in anymore. And so what are they doing? Uh, they're taking a very right wing approach. And and so I, I think. I think if, if, if traditional media still had the money coming in the door like it did 20 or 30 years ago when I was in the business, that we wouldn't be seeing so many of these different issues. Uh, but now everybody has to carve out their niche. Uh, they have to have opinion. They have to per- press certain topics and thoughts. And, and because of that, they're trying to get more ratings and, and more money. Mm. And the ultimate loser is the public, No. Yes and no. Uh, you know, in some ways, I suppose you can say it's great that we have choice. That if you want, you know, look at the you news you're getting, watch, though, right? Like, that? You look at the news you're getting, though, like the clickbaity headlines and everything is like, you know, you won't believe what happened next. Or, or and I think, you know, the next story we're going to talk about, the last one of the day, I believe, is a, is a version of that where they take one little piece and they turn it into because, you know, I have a sister who works at a national newspaper and she says the way that they, get assessed these days is, you know, you can look uh, there's a screen, a dashboard of everyone's articles, how many eyeballs, how many shares, mm. how many subscriptions yep. did your story contribute to? And so that, you know, are you, are you out, what is the motivation for you to tell great stories and inform your neighbors or is the motivation to get eyeballs and clicks and subscriptions to keep your job? That's because of technology that we can measure these things easier than we used to. You know, we used yeah. to have BBMs and, you know, and other forms of rating systems. And that was the only thing that we knew. Now we can calculate how many eyeballs are on a particular story, like you say. So, yeah, once you start measuring things, uh, then it, then the whole game changes. Okay. Last story that we wanted to bring up, Paranak, this is one that you had uh, sent an email about. Are you First of all, are you there or are you, are you out again? I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> Okay. There's one more story that we wanted to, uh, to, to bring up. Um, it's a little one, kind of a quick one. Maybe might get us canceled or uh, shadow banned or whatever, but uh, Paranak, why don't you set it up? 
Okay, so I'm not a, I'm not a Joe Rogan fan. Don't really listen to his podcast, but guy got COVID. Uh, amongst other things, they I don't know whether he asked for it or his doctor prescribed it, but uh, he was prescribed uh, prescribed invermectin. Ivermectin. Um, which, yeah, uh, which was designed or developed as a as a human drug uh, that uh, helps with like parasites, like lice and things. But it also became uh, widely used in veterinary situations for like horses, cows, and things for other parasites. But of course, you know that's what it's it's, it's sort of taken on the the tone of in the media. And what I thought was really interesting was you saw a lot of journalists. Um, really dunking hard on uh, on Joe Rogan because he took invermectin, and there's really there's, I don't think I haven't seen any evidence that it actually has any benefit whatsoever when it comes to dealing with COVID. But whatever, it's 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 a thing. The thing I found interesting was journalists, and maybe some of these aren't really journalists anymore. Maybe there's, there's these some of these are more media personalities versus journalists, but they kind of wear both hats. But a lot of journalists are quick to, to dunk on him. For, for taking this and then talking about how he was taking it. And I think in the, they were doing that because he's, he's a voice. He's got a ton of listeners. And when he's talking about something, it's going to influence how people see, see things. And, you know, I don't think anyone wants a repeat of some of the stupidity, you know, during, um, uh, during the last presidency, when we were talking about bleach and other shit that just makes no sense. So, but my question is, you know, does is it, is it right for journalists to take this opportunity to, you know, if it isn't a hard dunk, like some people like Jim Acosta did on CNN, is it the, is even the soft dunk, um, if that's such a thing, uh, that uh, some journalists do where they just sort of casually work into the story that it's a, the horse deworming drug in Vermectin and completely skip over the part that it was actually developed for humans in the first place. I, I, that's the thing I find interesting. So there's a couple interesting items here, and and this is a really charged topic, and, and even mentioning that word of the drug ivermectin in, in a podcast is, is is problematic these days, and you know the there there is actually some scientific evidence that that the drug can actually help prevent the disease or possibly um, shorten your, your symptoms. Like I think Joe Rogan had COVID for like two days and then he was like basically back to normal. I'm not saying that that was the reason why he was taking a whole bunch of other stuff and some cases are more serious than others. But you know, when I, when I, when I kept seeing horse dewormer everywhere popped up suddenly one day and it, you know, and so I'm, I'm always suspicious, you know, you, you scratch the first layer of the onion and you see what's underneath and like who, who's coming up with this messaging. And, and obviously that's, that's like a, um, what do they call it when the drug? It's the drug is created for one, like an off-brand usage or or whatever. Off-label, off-label. Yeah, off-label. Which was like that's how Viagra was created. They started out as a as a, as a drug for chest pain, and so th- this kind of stuff happens all the time. There's you know an interesting thing that I don't know has been covered much in the media that the the vaccines that have been approved for everybody, all these you know billions of people around the world, and I've got them floating around in my body as well, were given on an emergency use basis. So the drug companies who came up with them, they said, look, because we're doing this so quickly in this global pandemic, we don't want to be um, liable legally for anything that might happen down the road. If it turns out there's something problematic about these vaccines. And so one of the conditions of that order is that there cannot be another viable treatment for the, for the virus. And if there is that emergency use can come 
into question. Now I'm, I'm talking way out of my league here. I'm not a medical professional, not a legal professional, but that to me seems interesting. And so you have to wonder, is it maybe the pharmaceutical companies who are coming up with this, you know, just making this look like a ridiculous, stupid, asinine thing to do put this horse dewormer in yourself. So, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, Joe Rogan's a, a big boy. He can probably take the heat, but the comment that he made during his podcast, it was a very offhand comment. He said, you know, am I going to have to sue CNN? I don't think it was an actual, I don't think he's calling his lawyers. And then that became an article, which I would say was clickbait is, you know, Joe Rogan's threatens to sue CNN, which is, I don't think, I think that's a bit of an, uh, uh, I think they're reaching a little bit, but, it, but that article probably resulted in millions of views and a bunch of eyeballs. And it goes back to what we talked about earlier. So, you know, there, there's a couple issues there. The dunking, I think, is is one thing. And you're seeing a ton of that. And he is a lightning rod in a bunch of different ways. He has a huge platform, obviously, or I would say an audience that a lot of these media organizations would kill for, you know, tens of millions of listeners. I'm not sure how many, but but tons. But to me, it's the the demonization of this drug when I don't really know what, what the case is. Is it good? Is it bad? But right now they've made it, you know, the, the usage of that term horse dewormer is very effective and they have basically made it uh, almost taboo. I don't know, Grant, I don't know if you're aware of the story, but I'd love to hear your thoughts before we wrap things up. Well, I mean, there's the old line about there's no such thing as bad publicity because uh, if, if that's the case, uh, I mean, I hear that this drug is sold out at... Uh, you know, farm stores and whatever. Um, uh, I heard from somebody who's also in in the PR business uh, here locally, who has lives on an acreage, and she's she's pissed because she can't buy this drug for, for her, her horses, horses because yeah. it's sold out. Yeah. So um, I, I don't know. Yeah, I you know I'm you know I hear what uh, what you say, John. It's um, you know it's but um, I mean Rogan brings it on himself. And, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, we should be kinder and gentler to everybody, but, um, I, I think, uh, I think Joe kind of brings some of those things on himself. Yeah. Um, John, any last thoughts before we wrap things up? Apparently I've, I've used up all the bandwidth I can use to say words. So <laughs> I'm not there. How, uh, on, on another note, how long do you think before we can actually do one of these babies in person in the same room? What do you think? What, what's your prediction? Uh, I don't know. I, I'm not sure what to what to believe. John hasn't left the house since March we, of 2020. We're dealing with this in terms of like having uh, having people come back to office, and realistically, I don't think back to office is a thing that's going to happen until next year. So, wow, who knows? Who knows? You remember hard, though? Do you remember? Stay home for two weeks and flatten the curve. Wasn't that cute? Wasn't that quaint? Two weeks. Oh yeah, we'll be we'll be through this in uh, in yeah in a few weeks. We'll be through it. Well, here's the other thing that's happening now in Alberta because they have um, they took all the restrictions off almost all. Um, you know, back at the start of start of July, a lot of organizations getting geared up again in September are okay. Well, let's go back to face to face meetings. Uh, let's go back to golf tournaments. Uh, let's go back to barbecues, uh, sporting events we do together. And, and now the numbers in Alberta are going through the roof and a lot of these organizations are going, okay, I guess we're still allowed to do this because the government hasn't told us that we can't, but is, is this the right thing? 
And with the uh, B one seven two variant out there, whatever it is, it's it's really concerning. And so I'm I'm thinking to myself, how are we in a different situation now than we were last spring? The numbers look to be much the same, but yet we can do all these things now that we didn't do last spring. Where's the human responsibility and the personal responsibility? And so. Yeah, we have a lot of organizations here that are just not sure what what we should be doing. Uh, and Grant, the CEO of Delta, says thank you for not using the name of the, of the <laughs> I did that on purpose, but I still think it's a silly thing. Grant, I want to say thank you very, very much for you uh, to you for being here with us today and sharing your expertise. Um, Absolutely. I want to say, th- and so where can people follow you on Twitter? Why don't you just uh, shout out your Twitter handle? Grant's a great follow on Twitter. I highly recommend you uh, you hit him up. Thanks. It's uh, it's at Ainsley Inc. And uh, my website is Grant, uh, GrantAinsley.com. And you've been uh, really going hard on the, I know you took a little break in the summer, but the blog posts, the videos, a lot of media training, media relations tips. So if you want to get better at this stuff, really highly recommend you subscribe to, uh, to, to Grant's blog. Thanks, Warren. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I plan to take a bit of a break. I've been writing a blog every week for about four years, and um, I thought I would take a bit of a break over the summer. And then it was like, uh, well, I, I can't really think of anything to write. And I felt guilty about it. And then I thought to myself, wait a minute, I'm turning 65 this summer. So uh, I guess if I want to take a little time off from uh, what I, something I don't get paid for, yeah. I guess it's not so bad. So I did feel a little bit guilty after writing a blog almost every week for four years of taking the summer off. Very nice. And this is audio only, but I have to say your background is amazing. Really, really nice. Little bookshelf, got some sports memorabilia, some photos, nice light there. It's like obviously a lot of work put into that. I would, I'm not the room writer, but I'd say 10 out of 10. Uh, and I even have some lights that I'm not using to what, uh, get me 11 out of 10. <laughs> very nice. Thank you very much. We will, uh, be back next week with another episode and grant, hopefully you can come on again. Um, best of luck with Alberta, best of luck to you and yours. And we will talk to you soon. Thanks for stopping by. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, or recommend the show. See you next time.